welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA, and while it is frigidly cold in most of the U.S., we are approaching indoor boat show season. Um, so with, between the temperatures and all of the lovely boats people are seeing around the country, it seems like a good time to talk a little bit about how to finance a boat for the Great Loop. So we've brought in Cindy Lewis, who is a marine finance specialist with Sterling Associates, is one of our sponsors and speaks on the topic of financing your boat frequently for us at our events. Before we do start on that topic with Cindy, I want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral level sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Beneteau, Curtis Stokes and Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. Cindy Lewis, thanks for joining me again on Great Loop Radio. Thank you, Kim, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, and we've covered this topic with you before and, and got a lot of good feedback about it, and that was a few years ago. So we know we have a lot of new listeners, and this is kind of the time of the year where people are thinking about getting in a boat and heading further south. So let's talk a little bit about financing. As I mentioned, you're a marine finance specialist with Sterling Associates, but you've done a lot of different things in the boating industry, which gives you kind of a an, an lot of very useful assistance when you're helping customers with financing. So tell us a little bit about your background. Sure, I'm happy to. Um, I currently live in Annapolis, Maryland, where I've been for oh, 35 years or so, I guess. Um, I started my my career um, with a broker in the Twin Cities area who sold sailboats and had some charter operations. Uh, from there, I was headhunted and went to work for Pearson Yachts in the early 1980s, back in the heyday when we were making 800 to 1,000 boats a year. Uh, the economy changed a little bit, and I uh, went to work for a broker in Connecticut selling Pearson Sabres and Island Gypsy Trawlers. Uh, that that led me to Annapolis, where I've been since the early 80s, where I was a yacht broker and also helped start a charter company for Annapolis Yacht Sales. Um, my career sort of changed direction into publishing, and I worked uh, for Motor Boating and Sailing Magazine and then transitioned into Passage Maker Magazine, where I was their first hire. Um, I worked with Passage Maker for several years, where I met a lot of the uh, trawler and cruising yacht dealers and brokers and sold them ad space. And I left that and had the opportunity to uh, go into marine lending. So I had a lot of contacts and started uh, marine lending with a different company. Uh, I've been doing this for about 18 years now, and I've been with Sterling & Associates for nine years. And Cindy, all of that experience in the marine industry, of course, gives you a different perspective than somebody, let's say, perhaps at a local bank that you could go to for financing. So tell us a little bit about, because I've heard you say this many times, why do you recommend going to a, a marine finance bank or a marine finance specialist instead of dealing with a local bank where you may already have a relationship? Sure. Um, the, the bottom line is, is most banks don't have the ability to talk to a customer, work with a broker, work with a surveyor, and they don't know really much about boats or boat loans. Uh, some of your national lenders have marine divisions. They're some of the lenders we work with, BB&T, SunTrust, Bank of the Ozarks, but you can't really walk into their, their branches. By and large, you can't walk into their branches and talk to somebody that really knows about a boat. Uh, what we what we as a 
finance specialist, and it's not just Sterling. There's several other companies out there that do this. We become an arm to the bank. So we become part of the bank for your transaction. So we handle the applications, the paperwork. Uh, we work with the brokers to make sure the purchase agreements and everything are in order. We uh, know surveyors, uh, delivery captains, insurance agents, and we sort of become the glue that holds the deal together and the arm to the bank and the arm to all the moving parts in the transaction. Um, I always tell people that in any transaction like this, you may be dealing with a finance person and your broker and a surveyor and maybe one or two other people, but behind the scenes, there's between 25 and 40 people that are involved in these touching these transactions to keep everything going smoothly and you know to keep uh, keep the deal flowing and, and closed in a timely manner. Your local lenders, credit unions, and things like that. They might do boat loans. Typically, we find that they, they do boat loans and, and treat it like a car. They might have five to seven year financing. They may not finance boats uh, over $50,000, um, that kind of thing. So again, you can check with your local banks, but I think you'll find uh, using any marine lender will be an easier way to finance boats. So if you are considering buying a Great Loop boat and thinking you're probably going to finance that and you don't want it to be treated like a car loan, tell us about some of the things that the bank's going to require in order to finance a Great Loop boat. Sure, sure. Um, basically, the, the banks kind of have a standard profile of what they will require. Most banks will go back to 1999 or newer, which is 20 years. And we have a few banks that will go back to 1989 or newer. Um, so there are some great older boats out there, but not all banks will lend on older boats. Um, lending footprint, we have several national lenders, but also we all have uh, some regional smaller banks, credit unions. Uh, my company has 19 lenders, of which five or six are a smaller lending footprint. Uh, the lending footprint means where you live, not where the boat is, because quite often you have to travel to find the boat. Um, uh, again, we, we we all have lots of banks to be able to cover your needs. Um, basically, the banks will require 15 to 20% down. There might be a bank that will do a little bit less at 10%, but that they require the boat is newer, like 10 years old or newer. So uh, plan on 15 to 20% down. Uh, the, the banks will require a survey, and the survey will give you the condition and valuation of the boat. Uh, the banks also use a system called BUC, B-U-C, or N-A-D-A, to determine the market value. We also have some other resources to pull comps or sold boats. I generally like to say that, by and large, most boats are priced at the market rate. Uh, people know you're going to negotiate. Uh, if you pull up a, a, a search of main ships, they're all pretty much priced in the same area. If you're looking at a main ship 40, um, you, you can see that they're all pretty much priced about the same. Uh, if you see one that's super expensive, somebody has an unrealistic idea of what it's worth. If you see one that's super inexpensive, you might uh, want to do a little homework. Sometimes the boats aren't in very good condition, or perhaps uh, the, the seller needs to sell the boat quickly. There might be a, you know, some issue that they need to make the boat go away, and they're willing to just sell it quickly. So again, that's why a broker comes in and, and can help do that homework uh, with you. Uh, the, again, the value, typically the, the values, are, the brokers know what to list the boats for. 
Uh, they do their own search, their own comps. The banks will look at their own things behind the scenes. And we usually see these days that surveys are coming in at the value or more than the value. So values are coming up a bit. So it's, uh, again, that's something to work with with your broker, but the banks do have their own system of looking up comps and current values. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about the different rates uh, for the, the, and the different loan options available, because I have heard you present on this topic and I have heard some of our members leave those presentations where they were thinking perhaps that they would pay cash for a boat and after hearing from you realize that there are some advantages to financing. So tell us about you know some of those sure. options and some of the different rates that can make financing pretty attractive. Sure. Um, for general terms, basically anything over $100,000 financed after the deposit you, you can get 20-year terms, and under 100000 it's 15-year terms. So they, they, the rates and terms are favorable. Rates are determined uh, by the bank. It's always hard to quote. We have seen some rate increases in the last year. But when I say hovering around 5%, I'm in the low to mid fives for uh, over 100000 and the, the mid fives for under 100000 uh, there are some attractive ARM programs with basically ARMs. The, the popular one is a 5-1 ARM, and that's in the mid-fours. And basically, that's set up on a 20-year amortization, and after five years, it adjusts. It's not for everybody, but I do quite a lot of them for the loopers because the, you know that you're going to buy the boat, do the loop, and sell the boat. So you have an exit strategy. So it's something to consider. Um, a lot of people think that they, they want to pay cash for a boat. You've worked hard all your lives, you've saved, uh, you have the money in the bank or in your retirement accounts. But there's a couple of reasons to take a look at financing. Uh, if you look at a $100,000 boat loan and, and you're just going to borrow $100,000, um, you're looking at somewhere around $675 a month for a payment. Your, your $100,000 may be you know, working pretty well for you in your retirement accounts and, and in your bank accounts. And you can consider that payment as cost of doing the trip versus tying up all your money in the boat itself. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people think, think that they want to take the money out of retirement accounts. Um, you may be faced with capital gains if you take too much money out of your account. So that's a, something to go over with your financial planner and something to, to look at. But I find quite a lot of people, once they think about it, decide that they're, they'll finance a portion of the boat and keep their money in the bank. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I always tell people and, and I do in my presentations is, although you haven't bought the boat yet, there's going to be some day where you want to, need to, or have to sell the boat. And if you have all your money tied up in the boat and you need to or have to sell it quickly for whatever reason, and it happens, then it's a little bit easier to make two or three payments until that boat sells than it is to see your money tied up at the dock on a vessel that you can't use or you have some reason that you need to sell it. So it's something to think about that, you know, that payment is something that we work hard to never have payments. But in this situation of, of, you know, buying a boat for the purpose of doing the loop, or knowing that you'll do this for a few years and then move on to something else, it, financing is something to seriously consider. Mm-hmm. And Cindy, you mentioned capital gains, which of course kind of leads us to the topic of tax considerations. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the benefits or perhaps some of the detrimental consequences of financing a boat from a tax perspective? Well, thankfully, we can still take the IRS Section 163 second home deduction, and uh, that even though... Um, there's some controversy on that. As far as I know, it's still available. I have not been told otherwise. 
And again, if you take too much money out of your retirement account in a, in a certain time, based on how you have things set up, you could be faced with some pretty steep capital gains uh, taxes. Mm-hmm. And, and again, individually, uh, you know, it's going to vary case by case. But I've had several customers tell me if they didn't finance, their boat would cost them considerably more because of a penalty. So, mm-hmm. again, something to, to consider uh, that, that you know, keep your money working for yourself and pay that boat off over a couple of years period of time so you don't have to have any uh, big capital gains. I think mm-hmm. quite often the five one arms are popular for people that know they're gonna pay it off and pull their money out in chunks to do that. So uh, again, personal choice, but something to do some homework on. Mm-hmm. And Cindy, you mentioned the second home deduction. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some requirements for things that the boat must have, albeit fairly basic for a looping boat, but tell us right. what those requirements are right. for the boat to it, qualify as a second home. Right. It, it just, you can, it doesn't have to be a big boat. It just needs cooking, sleeping, and toilet facilities. So even some of these, you know, smaller pocket cruisers all have that. So as long as it has a place to sleep, a place to cook, and a place to do your daily duties, uh, you can consider it a second home. It's the same mm-hmm. with an RV as well. So right. uh, it's the same guidelines. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and play a message from one of our sponsors. When we come back, we'll jump in a little bit more to um, some of what the bank is going to look at to determine if a buyer is qualified and some of the things you might do to kind of prepare for that. So we'll be back in a moment. Green Turtle Bay Marina and Resort has consistently been voted a must-stop by loopers. It has earned the coveted five-anchor designation from Quimby's Cruising Guide. This full-service marina features over 450 slips. They are located at mile marker 31.5 on the scenic Cumberland River. Green Turtle Bay is a proud commander sponsor of AGLCA, so join them and find your waterway of life. We're back on Great Loop Radio. We're chatting today with Cindy Lewis, who is a marine finance specialist with Sterling Associates. Cindy, um, a lot of people are buying looping boats kind of towards retirement um, and making decisions on whether to continue to keep their home that they've had or downsize a home or go what we've been calling all in and just move aboard the boat and and stay aboard the boat. Um, Those are all kind of significant life changes that the banks might consider. So talk to us, give us some advice on the best way to handle those types of things. Sure. Uh, I always tell people it's best to get the boat before you have your going away party and your last day at work. And it's best to get the boat before you sell the house and and store your things in your brother-in-law's garage. Um, The banks look at where you are now and two years previous tax returns. So if you're retired now and you've been retired and you have your pension and social security statements and your bank, bank information, that's fine. But the hardest loan to get is from some for someone that calls me and says, Friday was my last day of work and Saturday we signed the paperwork on the house. I'm homeless, I'm staying with a friend, and now I need a boat loan. And the reason is, is you're not tied to anything. So the bank likes to see that you're tied to terra firma. That doesn't mean you need to own a house. You can downsize and rent. Uh, they just need to see that you're tied to land in some form. Most people, when they do this, they still have uh, friends, family, relationships with people that they can use that address for. Many people will just downsize to a smaller condo or townhouse. Um, It's kind of an individual thing, but I always say, try to get the boat before you retire and before you sell the house, because the banks want to see that you're tied to 
uh, real estate. Um, we can talk about this if anyone wants to reach out to me. We can talk about this on an individual basis. But uh, again, plan ahead is, is the, the way to uh, approach it and think about, think like the bank. You know, they don't want to, they won't project where you are six months from now, but they want to know where you are now and where you've been. So they don't project, oh, well, he's a certain age, you know, he's going to retire. They don't do that. They actually can't because you don't have to retire. You can work as long as you want in, in this country. So, um, it, you know, I guess unless you're a pilot and you're, you're required to stop flying planes, but many pilots will go ahead and uh, do private jobs. So, again, more, more to the fact that, you know, the banks look at where you are now and where you've been the previous two years. Mm -hmm. um, they look at this is cash flow based lending. Many people buying looper boats or getting to that retirement stage in their life don't have much debt. So they're going to look at outgo. So if you have a car payment or you're helping with student loans for your kids or grandkids, uh, mortgage payment, they'll add the boat payment to that. And that debt can be no more than 40% debt to income ratio. Uh, I find most people buying looping boats, again, are, are have great debt ratios and have things that are paid off. They're not in a consuming mode where they're um, you know, buying homes and leasing cars and, you know, college loans and paying off that all that stuff is pretty much done. So again, your your they look at, you know, your cash flow and your debt ratios. As far as cash flow, uh, the banks like to see after the down payment that you have at least twelve months of payments in the bank in liquid liquidity non retirement accounts. So in other words, you may like to load up your retirement accounts hold back and, and put the money in the retirement accounts after you get the boat. Um, again, they want to know that if an emergency happens, um, you know, you get injured, you can't work, you, you know, get laid off, anything like that, uh, they want to see that you've got a cushion to fall back on. Okay. Now, Cindy, when we started out, you talked about the host of other people that are kind of behind the scenes when you're going through this boat buying process. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about some of that. Uh, one of those, okay. of course, is a surveyor. Um, mm -hmm. Will, which the bank is looking for that survey. So tell us a little bit about what the bank is going to require from the survey that's submitted by the surveyor and, and passed on to the bank for the financing. Sure. Um, the banks will require a survey done by NAMS, NAMS, National Association of Marine Surveyors, or SAMS, S-A-M-S, Society of American Marine Surveyors, uh, accredited surveyor. Most are one or both, and some have additional uh, accreditations. So they're going to require a survey with a sea trial, a haul out, uh, the sea trial to run the engine up to speed. Most banks don't require an engine survey. However, lately I'm seeing banks asking for engine surveys on boats over 20 years old. I always recommend an engine survey. Uh, most brokers will recommend an engine survey separately as well. It's kind of just a good, uh, good cushion. Again, that's a case by case thing, but I always recommend getting an engine survey. Um, the surveyor will give a condition and valuation comment on the survey, and the banks need the, bo the boat to be in average or above average condition, good, or average, or above average. Uh, if it's in fair to poor, they're going to start looking through that survey and see why. You're probably not going to buy a boat that's in fair to poor condition, and the banks don't want to finance a boat that's a project because they, they want their collateral to be good. If something should happen and they end up you know, with that collateral back, they want to know that the boat is easily sellable and in good working order. Uh, quite often people will want to add new things like uh, upgrade electronics, 
thingies and that kind of thing. We can do that, but it's best to be proactive on that. So if you've zeroed in on a boat that you'd like to uh, get an approval for and you say, gee, I want to put a new dinghy on, um, it's always a good idea to get the quote for the dinghy and any electronic upgrades. Ahead of time, I can submit everything to the bank with the purchase agreement, the application, and the additional upgrades. The banks aren't into what I call build-a-boat workshop, and they will typically add equipment that they can look up in a catalog. So I always say a West Marine shopping cart, it works. Um, you may not end up buying it at West Marine, but the prices are basically the same as what an outfitter or, or a you know, a private company would charge. And again, if you can attach it to the boat without huge labor, that's what they'll do. They don't finance in things that take a lot of labor because labor varies around the country. Um, a gallon of paint might be $400, but a yard might charge $120 an hour or $60 an hour, depending on where the yard is, to put the paint on. So that doesn't necessarily, the labor doesn't necessarily add value to the boat but things that they can look up in a catalog uh, you know, will certainly enhance the boat. And, and again, it's case by case, it's individual. Um, we do this quite often, but it, it has to be something that can be looked up easily by an underwriter at a bank and, and not any kind of custom type work. Okay, so things like a marine and electronics um, upfit, for example, is something that you can probably finance into your loan. Yes, yes. Um, I'm doing one right now where we're financing in a dinghy, davits, and outboard. And that's mm -hmm. about $8,500 and, you know, easy to get quotes for and add into the loan and it all, you know, it, it, it all works. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, again, paint jobs, new interior cushions, that kind of thing. Um, that's harder because, again, those prices are, are going to vary based on if you do new interior based on the cost of the fabric, based on the cost of the labor at that particular canvas outfitter. So uh, it, again, it, it's not something that would be able to be priced average nationwide. So again, things from a catalog and electronics, dinghies, generators, that kind of thing can, de can definitely be added in. Okay. And then another person who may or may not be involved in this whole process is somebody to handle uh, kind of the, the paperwork issue. So you've got to title, um, sometimes state register and Coast Guard document the boat. What of those things does the bank require and who can someone get to help them to make sure that's all done properly? Correct. Uh, many people on a private transaction like to think that they can do all of this themselves, which they can. But I always recommend, and the banks require, a, a third-party U.S. Coast Guard agent that is a member of AVDA, American Vessel Documentation Association. Uh, these dock agents are uh, insured with home, hold harmless insurance, and they're also part of the glue that holds the deal together. Uh, they will order hull searches, lean searches. If there's a loan on the boat, they will get the payoff and the per diem amount. Uh, they handle bills of sale for sellers, bills of sale for buyers, application for documentation. And for the banks, they will set up and secure a first preferred ship's mortgage, which is a requirement for from the bank when the boat is documentable. Any boat over 27 feet is documentable. Most of the boats are over 27 feet. So mm -hmm. this would fall into that requirement. Um, quite often, these title agents find hiccups and they'll see that the dinghy didn't get transferred to the sellers two or three owners ago and 
we have to go back and get the dinghy titles straightened out. Uh, on a small dinghy, sometimes we just make them sign an affidavit saying that they'll they'll handle registration themselves. But when you have an expensive, you know, center console type dinghy that's really a boat in itself, that needs to be cleared up and straightened up. So these title agents are really miracle workers at fixing problems. Uh, stopping problems from happening in the future, and well worth the, the price. The, the documentation ranges from six to eight hundred dollars, depending on how much they do. Um, even on a private party without the ship's mortgage, it's probably the ship's mortgage is a couple hundred dollars because there's fees involved for filing that. But um, even on a private party transaction, I strongly recommend using a, a you know an AVDA member Coast Guard documentation agent. It's just a small peace of mind. It's not a lot of money. Uh, you know, if you were buying a house, you'd be required to use a title agent, and they cost a lot more. So, uh, the cost of the transactions, uh, you know, for fees, our company and other companies, it, we charge two, three hundred dollars for our our paperwork and overnights and doc prep. And the the big cost involved would be the documentation. But all in, it comes into you know somewhere under a thousand dollars if they're doing more for you, your state registration um, and more things, it's a few hundred dollars more, but it's a small peace of mind, small money to pay for peace of mind on you know something that you want to make sure all that registration is correct. And and again, the banks require it, but on a private party transaction, uh, you know, I suggest that I highly recommend it. It's just like an engine survey. I always mm -hmm. recommend those. Right. All right. Uh, Cindy, I think we are just about out of time. Any last thoughts that perhaps we didn't cover? Um, getting a pre-approval, we can always get you a pre-approval. Uh, there's no fees involved there. Quite often, a broker will not show you a boat if financing's involved and you don't have a pre-approval. They would like to see a pre-approval letter or email saying that you're good to go. Um, you may not know what kind of boat you want yet, but you have an idea of how much you want to spend. You can pick a boat that would work. You know, if you know your budget's 150,000, uh, there's plenty of boats out there that would work for a loop boat in that price range. Um, we can use that on the application, and you can always change collateral. You're not obligated to anything. But unlike real estate, the banks do need a boat on the application. So uh, again, getting the pre-approval is very easy. Um, any of us are in the business are happy to do that, and that gives everybody, you know, peace of mind and knowing you've got that part squared away uh, when you make your offer. You can make it subject to survey, sea trial, and bank approval of survey, which lets the, the seller and the seller's broker know that you will be financing and the bank has to okay the survey. And on that note, I, I think I mentioned it a little bit earlier, the banks, you know, you're not going to buy a boat that has issues. And the banks know that, but every now and then they'll come up and say they want to see a work order for a surveyor's recommendation. I have one right now that uh, uh, they wanted to see that, that uh, the air conditioning was fixed and see the work order. And you know, every now and then they'll do that. The banks, I read all the surveys, the banks read all the surveys, and they, they want to know that the boat that you both own together, because remember the bank owns it with you, uh, is in good, good working order and doesn't have any issues. So, right. um, uh, again, something to uh, to keep in mind. Again, pre-approval and uh, you know bank approval of survey in your contract is something to, that uh, is easy to do. Okay, and Cindy, you mentioned it a few times, but so much of this process is about peace of mind. 
Um, so spend a little extra, in, in my opinion, it's well worth it, as Cindy said, to make sure you're dealing with um, accredited and reputable vendors for all of these pieces. Um, the peace of mind will be worth it because for most people, this is a pretty large transaction. So Cindy Lewis with Sterling Associates, thank you for sharing all this information today. My pleasure. It's been nice to, to be here and uh, everybody stay warm. Summer will get here. <laughs> We will try. And for our listeners, thank you for joining us again. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. 